So the way I wanted to kick off this retreat and the theme of rest was with the idea of joy. And when we want to rest, we naturally want to do things that bring us joy. Whether it be watching a movie, hanging out with friends, going on a date, playing basketball, going fishing, whatever it might be, we find rest in doing things we enjoy doing, we find joy in. Um, and the idea that I really want to focus on in this sermon is uh, true and lasting joy. What is true and lasting joy? And this letter that Paul wrote was written to the church in Philippi, which was actually the first city to be evangelized to in Europe. And uh, Philippi was actually a, uh, it was an urban center, very similar to Philadelphia, where people of all different cultures came together. So in terms of spirituality, there was a lot of spirituality. There was a lot of people, people were spiritual there. But it was a very um, syncretistic area, so there was a lot of like different religions stuck together into one that shouldn't have belonged with each other. So, you know, there, there could have been a lot of things that um, could go wrong with the church in Philippi. Interestingly enough, though, if you read uh, the beginning of chapter 4, we see Paul here calling this church his crown and joy. Or in other words, the crown jewel of Paul's life's work. And we kind of see this expressed all over his letter. There's so much love and joy overflowing out of each and every chapter. So naturally, you'd uh, think that this was a very holy and godly ministry with a lot of great people. I'm sure there was. But actually, there were many problems and difficulties the church faced. And although, um, although there were a lot of outside uh, threats facing the church, the issue that Paul seems to address more often in this letter is the divisions and selfishness within the church. In numerous places in the, in, the, in the letter, Paul rebukes the church for their pride and division, and this passage is actually one of them. Often we imagine Paul expressing this passage with a smile and a grin to us with a big hug. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But that actually doesn't seem to be the case here. In the passage right before, he pleads with two older women to stop fighting and agree in the Lord. So his tone was probably a little more like, come on, people, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. The gospel is a cause for joy. Why are you fighting? Why is there division and fear among you? Why is a Christian life a drag for some of you? Paul is reminding gospel believers to reorient, reset, and return to rejoicing the Lord. We can't forget that these people, they were people who professed to love Christ, to follow Christ. Like we sang, it's amazing how our hearts continue to crave, crave sin. We want to sin. We're always inclined to sin. And obviously, this isn't a problem that's isolated to just the Philippian church. It actually happens in every church, including Metro. So whether you're a, a, not a believer, or maybe you're searching, or been a Christian for many years, Paul's words apply to all of us right now. So to expound on that, I have three points. Uh, true and lasting joy. Real easy. What it is, what it does, and how to get it. True and lasting joy. What it is, what it does, and how to get it. So what it is. One definition I found for joy was this. Joy is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. It is something or someone that provides a source of happiness. So we find joy in something. 
Something comes into your life, and joy is expressed outwardly. You can't just rejoice. You have to rejoice in something. In fact, the bigger the source of joy, the bigger the joy, and the longer that joy lasts. I think one way to understand this, understand the concept of true and lasting joy, is to compare it with something that I'm going to call counterfeit joy. Counterfeit joy, it seems like the real thing, but when you actually hold it up to the light and examine it, you realize, in the end, that it's actually worth nothing at all. In secular terms, it's, it's the one thing that everyone is looking for and chasing after, and, it, and possibly they even think they've finally gotten it, but then realize it's like trying to hold water. It slips right into your fingers. The life mantra of many people in society, and probably actually many of us in this room, is do what makes you happy. Do what brings you the most joy in life. In the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, I love that movie, Chris Gardner, played by Will Smith, had a, a very telling line about happiness. The entire movie is about him trying to obtain a job that he's always needed and thinks that it would finally give him joy and everything that comes with it. But during it all, this is what he says. I started thinking about Thomas Jefferson on the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? He could have just put happiness. Why pursuit of happiness? That maybe... Happiness is something that we can only pursue. And maybe we can never actually have it. Counterfeit joy. On the other hand, true and lasting joy. This joy in the Lord, when the source of joy, the gospel, this cosmically huge gospel, comes into your life, it rocks your entire world. It just blows it up into pieces, so much so that it forces your entire life to change. You have to reorganize everything. You have to change everything. Matthew 13, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He sold everything he had for this one fine pearl to buy this thing. Compared to counterfeit to him, when we hold up the gospel to the light and examine it, we see that it's worth so much more than anything that we possess that you'd be completely dumb not to sell everything that you have to possess it. This gospel, this gospel is security, eternal life, unconditional love from the one who creates, brings to life, and gives meaning. God himself. And that brings us to the next point, what it does. So what it is, true and lasting joy is the life changing pearl of the gospel. So what it does. If you look at the passage, we see three things uh, that true and lasting joy does. Verse 5, 6, and 7. It gives humility, it gives poise, and it gives peace. But before uh, we go into true and lasting joy, let's talk about what counterfeit joy does. Going back to the pursuit of happiness. If you remember the movie, Gardner had a really, really tough life. He was broke, his wife leaves him, he gets kicked out of his house and becomes homeless, 
and he's barely able to provide a meal for his family daily. The scene actually I remember the most is uh, when him and his son, being homeless and unable to afford even a cheap motel, had to spend the night in a subway bathroom. He had toilet paper spread all over the ground as a bed for his son. And all he could do was cover his son's ears as people were constantly banging on the door, telling him to get out, trying to keep him from waking up while he weeped in despair. I think if I watched that movie now, I'd cry for sure. Thinking about like Owen, kind of hold on. We fast forward to the end. After finally landing the job that he desperately needed to turn his life around, right after the offer letter, he runs out the door and he starts clapping and crying for joy in the streets. He finally made it. But what the movie doesn't show you is what happens after. It seems like he had finally made it now, but being in New York, he has to continue to work in order to keep his job. It's possible that he has to work so hard that he can't even spend time with his son. Here's what Jennifer Joy does. It continues to take and take and take until there's nothing left to take. It crushes you. It doesn't give you joy. It takes joy from you. Psychologist uh, Frank Minereth writes this in his article titled, Happiness is a Choice. We are convinced that many people do choose happiness, but still do not obtain it. The reason for this is that even though they choose to be happy, they seek for inner peace and joy in the wrong places. They seek for happiness in materialism and do not find it. They seek for joy in sexual prowess, but end up with fleeting pleasures and bitter long-term disappointments. They seek inner fulfillment by obtaining positions of power in corporations, in government, or even in their own families by exercising excessive control, but they remain unfulfilled. I've had millionaire businessmen come into my office and tell me that they have big houses, yachts, condominiums in Colorado, nice children, a beautiful mistress, an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate positions, and suicidal tendencies. They have everything that this world has to offer, except one thing inner peace and joy. Real and lasting peace apart from God does not exist. In fact, C.S. Lewis says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. <coughs> So what does rejoicing in the Lord do compared to counterfeit joy? Jesus again says in Matthew 14, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This man one day, he comes across this ultimate source of joy hidden in the field, and when he realizes what it was, he hid it. And in his joy, he sold everything he had to get this treasure. Rejoicing in the Lord, the gospel, it completely changes everything. Say you won the lottery, $150 million in the bank account. Do you think your life is going to stay the same? They're going to have the same job. 
Are you going to live in the same house? Are you going to drive the same car? Do you think you're going to do the same things for fun? <laughs> Absolutely not. You're going to go into your job. You're going to quit your job. You're going to sell or maybe even just give away your house to somebody, drive a new fancy car, and probably even hang out with different people. Except the gospel, unlike the lottery, actually changes and reorganizes your life for the better. One change is that this radical shift in joy allows you to be an outward-facing individual. One commentator said, Believers whose primary concern is whether or not they are being dealt with fairly will fail to exercise a fundamental element of Christian behavior, preferring others above themselves. For counterfeit joy, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. True joy is about living for others. And why is this? It's because the source of joy, the gospel, is about what Christ did for others. Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross. Paul here, he's not talking about some superficial joy, but he's talking about one that can always be had. <coughs> and this is because unlike counterfeit joys, it depends not on changing circumstances, but it depends on the one who does not change. The Lord Jesus Christ. So going back to the passage, we see three things that true and lasting joys as. It gives humility, poise, and peace. One, it gives humility. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word uh, gentleness could also be translated as considerate. Think of others rather than yourself. After receiving, say, an inheritance worth $2 million, it would be absolutely ridiculous for you to ask for your money back when you give a friend 5 or $10 be ridiculous. Why? It's because you have $2 million in the bank account. When you've been given so much, you're able to be reckless in giving to others. Especially when the son who had given you the inheritance was reckless in giving it to you. Where counterfeit joy continues to take and take and take until there's nothing left to take, Christ gave and gave and gave until he had nothing left. Where counterfeit joy continues to take from us, Christ gave his life for us. So rather than looking to exploit others of respect, power, popularity, look to Christ as our source of joy. We can now love the unlovable. Or maybe you can love people you probably, maybe you don't think you gain anything from. And in that time, you might even lose your own status or popularity by befriending these people that you've never associated with. One reason why you're arrogant and pretentious is probably because your goal in life is to find joy and position, power, status, and respect. You think those are the things uh, that'll help you say, I've made it in life. And you're willing to do and sacrifice whatever and whomever to get it. 
On the contrary, ultimate joy is joy found in the Lord, makes you humble and considerate because position, power, and status are no longer your end-all, be-all. But instead, you find your joy in being loved and accepted regardless of your title and status in Christ. You have a special reservation to sit at the table besides the one with the greatest position, power, and status. God, the creator of the universe. Paul says to the Philippian church, how can you fight and be so selfish when you worship a king who is so selfless? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. In the same letter, Philippians 3, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says, The Lord is near. The time when our lives will be transformed to be like Christ." both in spirit and body, is quickly approaching. This joy gives us humility to live for others. Notice how he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Life no longer is an individual matter, but now it happens in the context of community. This joy now allows you to be humble and loving others, as well as being loved by others. And, that, and sometimes that means through loving rebuke, whether giving or receiving, just like Paul did to the, to, uh, the church. True and lasting joy gives you humility to live for others. Number two, it gives poise. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your, present your requests to God. The Philippian church had had plenty of reasons to worry and be anxious as there were constant threats inside and outside the church. But for some reason, Paul exhorts them not to be anxious. What is it in your life that gives you joy? Or what is it that you're chasing after, hoping that it will give you joy? I think even those who have been Christians for years can admit that uh, often finding um, joy and rejoicing in other things is probably more appealing than rejoicing in the Lord at times. Is it your job? Is it landing your dream job right out of college? That one job that you think you'll make it? Maybe it's that promotion you've been eyeing for a while. That'll bring me happiness. Maybe it's possibly getting married. If you have a man or that woman, that other person in your life that will love you unconditionally, your life will be complete. And I can tell you now, because Agnes is here, that is very true. <laughs> My life is Maybe it's finally getting that recognition from your parents and saying they are proud of you and they, that, that they've always been proud of you. Or maybe as Donnie preached last, uh, this past Sunday, maybe it's finally getting in with that group that you've always hoped to be accepted by and loved. The question is, what happens when these things are taken away from you? Or maybe you never even come to attain it. Or, even worse, what happens when you finally get the thing that you always thought would make you ultimately happy, but when you finally have it, it doesn't. And you realize it's all just a sham. Anxiety is just knocking at your door. That's what counterfeit joy does. It makes you believe 
that it's the real thing until you actually have it. And then it just falls apart and leaves you empty. The reason why you're constantly gripped by anxiety and happiness uh, it, uh, and uh, when the timeline and path is laid out for you, 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 when things don't go as planned, anxiety and worry slowly start to creep in. But what happens when these counterfeit joys, these idols, no longer have a grip on your heart? Something greater, a source of joy that is truly ultimate, real, and lasting, comes and rocks your entire world. With this joy in the Lord, you have poise and confidence to be honest with yourself and saying that sometimes you have no idea what you need. You have no idea what's in your best interest. But there is someone else who continues to work for your good. Always. After the death of Jesus, you can imagine the disciples in complete anxiety and worry huddled in a room, afraid that the authorities would come after them. And they're probably thinking, why did he have to die? We had a good thing going. He was healing hundreds and thousands of people, performing <laughs> amazing miracles. He started a movement. Why did he have to end it all? But little did they realize at that moment that through the death of Jesus, it wasn't the end, but it was the beginning. Rather than healing hundreds and thousands during his lifetime on earth, through his death, millions and billions of people came to be healed and brought to life. He may have started a movement during his life on earth, but through his death he started a revolution that continues to last thousands of years later, even to today. And as they became more convicted to the resurrection of Christ, they no longer lived in anxiety and worry, but in deep-seated joy poise, and humility as they were no longer living for themselves, but they became outward-facing individuals. Again, the bigger the source of joy, the bigger the joy, and the longer that joy lasts. And there is nothing bigger than Jesus Christ himself. If Christ and the promises he secured for us is your source of joy, there really, there really isn't anything to be anxious about. One of the promises Christ has secured for us is that we now have access to the all-knowing, all-controlling, all-powerful Father. Christ told his disciples to pray like this, which was unheard of. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Rather than being anxious, Paul tells the church that in every situation, we have a Father who listens and loves us. Lift up your requests to Him, but more importantly, know that He is always working for your good according to His purpose. Anxiety and worry is the practice of the absence of God, but joy is the practice of the presence of God. With Christ in my vessel, I will smile at the storm. Lastly, it gives peace. Verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word here for guard is a military term that describes a fleet of soldiers surrounding an area to keep it from being sieged. They work as shields, protecting what's behind them. So what Paul is saying here is that from this joy comes a peace that will defend and protect your heart 
in mind from oncoming attacks from the enemy. And from that, it's easy to think that Paul here means that this peace will protect us from anything bad from happening. No suffering, no hardships. But Paul here actually means the opposite. When he talks about a peace that transcends all understanding, he's talking about a peace that makes absolutely no sense to people. Paul's life is filled with suffering and hardship. He's been beat down physically, emotionally to the point where he's barely breathing. He's lost at sea, backstabbed by his friends, abandoned, thrown in jail, and so much more. Yet, he is still able to say, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How? It doesn't make any sense. How is he still able to continue to live fearlessly? This is what the peace of God provides. It provides contentment in every situation, regardless of circumstance. We see him talking about that way even a few <coughs> verses after what we read today. So whether on the brink of death or thrown in prison, Paul can write a letter overflowing with joy in the gospel and love, so much love. What an amazing peace. You know, the reason why you might feel restless and peaceless is because you're constantly looking to avoid suffering and difficulty. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should go out and seek for things to happen to us, but we're constantly on high alert and we're paranoid in trying to plan our lives and experiences to, least, to experience the least amount of suffering possible. But suffering and hardship is actually two keys in forging lasting peace in life. Romans 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You know, often people who've uh, been through a traumatic experience, people always ask them, hey, looking back, would you ever take these moments of suffering and hardship back? If you, can, if you rewind, would you go through the same things again? And almost every time, the answer is, of course I would. Absolutely, I would. Suffering refines you as an individual. It helps you shed the dead weight off your back. It gives you a peace that transcends all understanding because you are razor-focused on the object of joy that can never be taken away. So lastly, this joy in the Lord. How in the world do you get it? The most popular idea uh, in the world of what being Christian actually means couldn't, couldn't be further from the truth. If you ask the average Christian in America what it means to be a Christian, you'll, you'll probably get answers such as, it's being a good person, giving to the poor, being selfless, or simply just being religious, going to church, praying, giving a lot of money for offering. Honestly, even long, some long-time believers, although they don't profess it with their mouths that this is Christianity, they actually live it with their lives as if it is true. I think all of us actually do that. This is not the gospel. This is religion. And rather than giving joy, religion robs people of joy. If being a Christian means being a good, religiously moral person, you're not rejoicing in your Lord, 
You are rejoicing in yourself, your own good works. Your faith is based on how many times you attend service, how much you give offering, how many times you pray, or maybe even for some long-time believers. Your faith depends on how many lives are being changed by you. But this could be very deceiving. If people's lives around you are being changed, but you yourself aren't being changed, we have to run to Christ as fast as possible. When you stop doing these things, you feel distant from the Lord. But when you start doing these things, you feel great, but you feel drained. Think about athletes. Can you imagine living in a world where they live by the motto, what have you done for me lately? They have a good game, people praise them. They have a horrible game, people want to dump them and fire them right away. That's what religion is. Do you realize how tiring and draining this is? There's absolutely no joy in this, but instead it turns into arrogance and pride when you feel like you've been living up to that standard, or depression and worthlessness when you feel like you've been underachieving. And that's what's happening with the church of Philippi, and maybe that's even happening with your life. Are you able to rejoice in the Lord? Like truly rejoice in the Lord. If, if you've never feel, felt a sense of freedom, or it's been a long time, since you felt genuine joy in the Lord, you know, maybe it's time to take a step back and reevaluate where your heart actually truly finds joy. So how do you get this true and lasting joy? You get this true and lasting joy by looking and beholding the source of joy. That sounds super easy, but it's actually really hard. You get this joy by looking and beholding the ultimate source of joy. It's by seeing Christ. The same Christ who humbled himself. He was king, he had everything, yet he recklessly gave himself to us until he had nothing left. It's by seeing Christ, the same Christ who once he, he had nothing to be anxious about, but moments after his crucifixion, Romans before his crucifixion, he fell down on his knees to pray to his father as he sweat drops of blood in agony, knowing that at the end of the road lies only not only a crown of thorns, nails in his hands and feet, and a spear to his side, at the end lies complete rejection from his own father as he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Christ cried out with his dying breath, My God, my God, where are you? But received no answer. We can now cry, My Father, my Father, where are you? And receive a response from our Heavenly Father, Here I am. It's by seeing Christ, the same Christ who was heralded as the Prince of Peace, yet on the cross found himself drowning in the raging sea of the Father's wrath. The peace of God no longer was guarding him, but completely abandoned him. It's by seeing Christ, the same Christ who, while being crucified on the cross, had every right to be bitter and angry at the people he was suffering for. But rather than being bitter and anger, rather than bitterness and anger, while on the cross, he looked to us in joy. Hebrews 12 says that it was in his joy that he died for the very ones who rejected him. We were his joy. 
Christ was the man who went and uncovered the treasure in the field and sold everything he had in his joy in order to purchase it. Christ was that man, and you were that treasure that he sold everything for. This is the gospel. This is why we are able to rejoice in the Lord always. It is because Christ, our Savior, has secured for us not only a momentary life here on earth, but an eternal weight of glory, where one day we will be walking beside the King in complete and utter joy and bliss. No more disappointments, no more heartbreaks, no more diseases, no more allergies, no more depression, no more loneliness. Just as a child feels completely invincible walking next to his father, he too will one day be untouchable by sadness, sorrow, and sin. It will be where everything bad that has happened will become undone. In fact, it's already begun in our lives. The Bible says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. In the midst of the everyday repetitiveness of work, waking up, going to the same dead-end job, Things are, things are tough. Maybe at home where finances and family relationships are constantly being strained and possibly even on the brink of breaking, it's easy to fall into depression, hopelessness, and joylessness. Where you're thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know how long I can do this. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Is there an end to this? In suffering, in physical suffering, emotional suffering, marital hardships, a lack of any kind of intimate relationship, the feeling of loneliness, we can take heart knowing that even in this moment, even in these mundane or significant moments, my Father loves me, and even this will work out for my good according to His great purpose and plan. I hope we can find joy in Christ and all the promises that he has secured for us. Why? Because he first found joy in us. Let us find rest in Christ, who is our eternal source of true and lasting joy. That's right.